You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange with me, Arthur Parkinson and Sarah Raven. In this episode, we're talking about narcissi and purple sprouting broccoli. So, of course, now is exactly the time for narcissi. And I often get asked this question, do you, Arthur? What's the difference between Hmm. a narcissus and a daffodil? Yeah, I guess. (laughs) I don't think there is, really. No, I I think people get worried, don't they? Yeah, it's just, it's the Latin name for daffodil. Mm. So you can use daffodil, but I suppose I tend to think the daffodil is the thing like the Lenten lily or, you know, the bright yellow thing that you see kind of at Easter often. And a narcissus, I tend to think of as slightly more delicate, I suppose. But basically, a narcissus is just a Latin name for a daffodil. So I think we could leave it (laughs) like that. (laughs) What are your favourites? Well, I have to be honest, I don't have a single one on the front garden, mainly because I find that they look far nicer and at their happiest, in my opinion, in grass, in, in an orchard. I love the, yeah. I probably, if I was to pick one, it'd probably be the species one. There's a gorgeous photo of a really old orchard with gnarled apple trees in Jasper Conran's book, Country. Mm. And you'll know the the species name, but it's this, yeah. this complete naturalised you know, flock of the most lovely lemon curdy yellow, um, mm. not rubber duck yellow. I, I do find it a bit retina irritant when I see avenues of rubber duck yellow uh, daffodils uh, on the mm. side of the, the road. I mean, they're better than nothing. I'm very pleased that we've got, you know, daffodils on the roadside, but they're not what I'd, I'd describe as beautiful. I find mm. them quite, I find that yellow almost like a danger sign yellow. Um, yeah. So I much prefer the the species diluted yellow, more yeah, cheerful. Yeah, like, like yellow stripes on the, on the road to tell you to stop parking. Yes, exactly. That's exactly the shade of yellow that I find most. Yeah, I'm afraid that's why there are very few plants I don't like, but I'm afraid I'm not keen on Forsythia. And it is literally because it reminds me yeah, of traffic I, I'm wardens. The, I'm the same. <laughs> yeah, a lollipop lady. Well, that, And you're not even a driver, Arthur, so the chance of I you know. parking on a double yellow line is pretty slim. <laughs> anyway, it's called that. That one's called Narcissus, pseudo Narcissus, which is a bit of a mouthful. But uh, yeah, it's a lovely variety and it's got quite nice, sort of slightly more slim leaves, hasn't it? And a silvery tint to the leaves, which is pretty. I, mm. I love, I think, uh, for me, it's all about scent with Narcissus. And to be honest, it was one of the, if not, I think it was the first trial we did here at Perchill. And it must be now 25 years ago where Adam and I had been on holiday to the Ciliars, which if any of you haven't been, I couldn't more passionately recommend it. They're the most beautiful off uh, the coast of Cornwall, off the tip of the Brishars, and just these series of little islands. And obviously, they're quite windswept, but they have an amazing climate, which apparently, I think I remember reading that they're on the same line as somewhere like Bologna in Italy or something like that, so that they've got very, very high amounts of sunshine days and uh, long hour-light days. And so they can grow incredible narcissus very early in the year. And what they do is they have these 
fields with dry stone walls and then Escalonia hedges. And honestly, their fields are so beautiful because they're tiny. They're the size of a, of a sort of half a village hall or whatever. Do you know what I mean? They're not, they're not massive. They're these lovely, intimate little fields. And they're packed with these highly scented narcissus, like paper white and avalanche and soldor and all these varieties. And you go any time really between kind of December, I think it starts, if not even November, and I don't know, March or April. And the fields are just full of the most incredible scented narcissus. And so the whole atmosphere is full of the smell of Stephanotis. And uh, that's what they remind me of anyway. And I'd been there and I just thought, gosh, I, I, I want that. I want a field of narcissus. And so I, I bought 10 bulbs of 12 different varieties. And what I was looking for was good vase life, really good scent, perfume. You had to have that. And also, ideally, that they were multi-headed and multi-stemmed. And that couldn't be more different to something like a candle daff, which is where you just get one stem coming up with one flower on it. And then that goes over really quickly. And particularly as a cut flower, they last over a weekend. You know, you put them on a Friday and they've gone brown by Tuesday. Mm. But with these florist varieties, the bulbs are bigger and they carry on cropping over weeks, if not months, one by one, stems coming up in a sort of succession, almost more like a dahlia, really. And the individual stem, each one has perhaps four or five little flowers on the top and each one scented. Anyway, I've been going on too long, but I bought 10 bulbs of each of these varieties back and experimented with them. And then basically there were avalanche, it turned out, flowered first. And in a warm year, I can start picking that in February. Then I move on to another variety called geranium, which has got an orange trumpet and that again, delicious scent. And then trevithian, which is not multi-headed and it is rubber duck yellow, but it's got the most ecstatically delicious scent. So it makes it on that alone. And then again, Actea is single-headed, but a wonderful, wonderful scent and a vase life going up to 10 days if you keep it cool. And then silver chimes, which flowers, it, it tends to be like the first or second week of April. And then you finish with pheasant sigh, which is the classic Narcissus recurvus variety, which is called recurvus because its petals recurve back onto the stem. And it's quite small and delicate. Yeah, I love that one. It's beautiful, isn't it? Mm. And that flowers, honestly, right at the end of April, even into May. So with those as a succession, wow, you know, you've just got this incredibly perennial bulb that will be in your garden for not just decades, but centuries. And it just gives you this wonderful perfume right the way through the spring. Do you lift your narcissides, Sarah, or do you keep them in the ground the whole time? Leave them in. Absolutely leave them in. Leave them in. And they're one of the key things in our bulb lasagnas here. So we have narcissus down deep at six inches on a bed of grit. Then we have Dutch iris, and then we have dahlias in the top. And I've mentioned this in a podcast before, but with the Narcissus succession, so going from avalanche and then, you know, through the ones I've just mentioned, geranium, trevithian, actea, silver chimes, etc., that takes you from the end of February until the end of April. Then Dutch iris will flower May, June, and then the dahlias come. And they're in layers, but they also flower in succession. So you just get, you know, whether you've got a big container or whether you've got room in your garden, you just get this incredible 
a beautiful thing to look at, a beautiful thing to to smell. So that's I, I would never lift a narcissus. No. Mm-hmm. Anyway, you don't you don't have any. You're missing something. I don't know because to to be honest, I'm glad when they've all died because it means you don't have to put a jumper on. Oh, well, that is a good point. Um, and actually, I want to come back to planting narcissus in grass because that's something that we do increasingly every mm. year here. And I always think with bulbs for naturalizing, it is step by step by step because really to make grass look beautiful, it's got to be abundance in bulbs. So you can't just have a smattering of 20. And so it's expensive. And so what I tend to do is I try and focus on one family in one year. So like last year for us, it was Narcissus. And I got really like bags and bags of them and then threw them in the air. And where they landed, I planted them. And then this autumn, it's going to be with crocus. And if you do it like that, it it is expensive, but you're going to gradually build up over decades and you're going to get more and more floweriness in the grass. And for me, the great inspiration for that is Great Dixter, where they've been planted, planting bulbs and grass there since Christopher Lloyd's parents uh, moved to the house and started making a garden. And so if you go there now, you literally can't put your foot down without crushing 10 or 15 different flowering bulbs. It's absolutely exquisite. That really is Eden, Arthur. You would just adore it. Yeah, I've only been in the autumn. We must try and go in the spring. But is it true that narcissi, unlike beloved tulips, narcissi like to be planted quite early in the autumn, don't they? They're not the kind of bulb that I could slot in, you know, the week before Christmas, are they, with my tulips? They do like to have a root already grown a little bit, I think. Is that right? Yeah, I, I'm afraid I th- I, that yeah. is right. I think they're one of the ones that ideally you plant. Along with alliums, actually, September mm. or October, they like to get sort of settled in pretty well apart from the forcing ones so paper whites uh, which of course aren't hardy so you can't plant them straight into the garden unless you're in a really sheltered microclimate like you might be in london or something and there you can plant them from dry but but yeah the others they do prefer to have a bit of a longer Mm. settling in period before the demands of flowering so let's move on to our edible plant of the week and that's purple sprouting broccoli which of course If you grow veg and you've got a sort of kitchen garden, purple spreading broccoli is one of the crops that is so generous at such a generally mean time of year. So April is a particularly, well, March into April, particularly difficult time for grow your own. But purple spreading broccoli is just when it's reaching its peak. Are you a fan? I do love to see it, actually. It's quite nostalgic for me because my nan always grew it. But I do see it and also think of the pests associated with it. Cabbage white butterflies and wood pigeons. And what I often see the result of is a horrible fruit cage like tent. And in a small garden I don't I don't want that. But one thing I saw at Perch Hill last year were these amazing they were like Eden Project purple sprouting and cabbage protective globes that you'd done, I think, yes. using huge long rods of bamboo which because it was fresh you could curve it over and you yeah, because it's our ho- homegrown yeah, bamboo yeah over which you'd put quite taut almost like fishing net netting yeah so i really did like the look of that actually and it, it once the once your vegetable garden was in full growth these globes of protection actually blended in really well so i would i would have purple sprouting broccoli i love how in the winter it's iced over and looks really gorgeous. 
Yeah, but it, it, those were brilliant, you know, mm. and they weren't my idea at all. There are vegetable garden and eaters. And it made me realize that, in fact, right angle bends in a garden, whether it be a fruit cage or a brassica cage or whatever, are edgy. They're not so nice. If you can make something rounded, more like all the plants around it, like a round arch, or as you say, these almost like globes with just the soil surface being one flat side they look so great they completely merged in and you just they don't they don't sort of upset the eye they're really i couldn't more warmly recommend them and actually it was just brassica netting mm. over the top of them tied and it, you always have to be careful with a brassica net that you don't you got to make it big wide and tall enough the, the butterflies can't get their proboscis down and lay the eggs through. So it's got to have a good sort of, not quite six inch, but probably four inch of air between the plant and the net. Otherwise, they're going to be able to, to get through and then you'll get caterpillars munching away. But uh, they, they do look fabulous. And I adore purple sprouting broccoli because of it filling the hungry gap, which is, of course, exactly now. So rhubarb that we talked about last week, and purple sprouting broccoli, for me, are just the epitome of the Hungry Gap edible crop. And the one thing I hold against purple sprouting is how long it has to be in the garden. So you really need to sow it now in sort of mid-spring, and yet you're not picking from it until next February, March, April, uh, February if you if you have an early variety. And so you've got to have a decent-sized garden before you can think of justifying it. But unlike a cabbage, it makes the grade for me more because it is cut and come again. So you keep picking the auxiliary buds. Well, first of all, the main floret and then all the auxiliary buds. And by picking, it then perpetuates more sprouts because it wants to make its flowers and make seed and reproduce. And so it actually is cut and come again to an extent. And so really for a six week period until asparagus starts, which we'll move on to in another podcast, it really is the mainstay here. And in terms of cooking, I love it with pasta. I, I just think I'm not a massive pasta fan. I try not to eat too much pasta because it's not good for the waistline or my waistline. But what I would do with purpose sprouting is I would actually divide it into some stems that I just blanch and then I griddle and so they get a nice sort of nutty almost sort of slightly treacly flavor on the griddle and then another lot I actually boil until it's quite soft and then I whiz that um, either with one of those warm whizzers or in the magic mix so I get a puree and then what I do is I, I melt down a, a tin of anchovies to give it a real sort of poke and that gets mixed into the puree and then I'll chop up the griddled purple sprouting mix the pasta with the creamed purple sprouting and mix the whole lot together with lots of lemon juice, extra virgin olive oil and parmesan. And I have to say, it is pretty delicious. So that would be my sort of desert island dish with purple sprouting. And oh, I forgot chili, a bit of either fresh green chili or even some dried red chili flakes through it. And, and that really will make it. And what about you? How would you eat it, Arthur? It's quite reminiscent for me of a Sunday dinner, to be honest. So I just imagine it with lots yeah. of gravy and good roast potatoes. <laughs> I'm sorry to not be as yeah. imaginative. Nice. 
but that is how I was always served it when I was little. Lovely. And I, I can't I can't imagine really a, a, a proper vegetable garden without it. But you are right; it is a huge, almost like shrub-like creature, isn't it? By the time it gets to harvesting yeah. stage, so I don't think I'll be having any in my garden anytime soon. But you never know. No, your garden's a bit too small. Mm. Clarissa Dickinson Wright apparently shot a peacock because she grew it, and a peacock was in her purple sprouting brassica bed really yeah she says it on a must have been on the two fat ladies Gosh. and she then served this peacock to the owners um <laughs> and so she told them it was peacock and it was only after the dinner she says i believe it's your peacock because i shot it it was eating my purple sprouting broccoli <laughs> <laughs> that's so. a very good story to end on arthur <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody, for listening to our podcast. And next week, we are back with a guest, our first guest, Mark Diacono, an old friend of mine who's a wonderful chef and cookery writer and grower. And he's got a new book out on herbs. And with Easter coming, we thought what would be more apt than to get him to tell us what he would do with mint. We might be putting it with lamb, but he will be putting it with lots of other things. So see you next week. We're going to talk about cosmos and mint. You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahoven.com.